Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and ask you once again to join us in this place. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's not normally good practice to preach against something. In in other words, I don't like to spend the sermon time telling you how other people might be misinterpreting the passage of Scripture that we've been asked to unpack on a certain Sunday morning. We don't talk too much around here about false teachers, apostate churches, or cults. Usually, we just try to come to the text with open eyes and hearts, and allow God's word to do its work in our lives. First, illuminating God's holiness and our sin, and then pointing us to the one, Jesus Christ, who came to bear that sin, reconciling us to that holy God. But sometimes, once in a while, it seems like straightening out a common misconception can actually help to understand a text. Our Human understanding is twisted by sin, and it can sometimes be helpful to shine a light on that, how sinful and therefore confused humans might have wrongly treated the Bible's words in order to help us see the truth more clearly. So that's what I want to do for just a second this morning. As we come to this text, Jesus calling the tax collector Matthew to be his disciple and a subsequent dinner in Matthew chapter 9, there is a common misconception that needs to be cleared up in order to help us understand what's going on in these verses and other biblical verses like them. So we have a pretty simple sermon outline this morning. One, the clearing up of a common misconception, and then the proclamation of the true good news. So, modern culture interprets Jesus's habit of dining with outcasts tax collectors and sinners, as the Pharisees call them in our reading here, as due to a simple preference. Jesus, we're often told, cares more about the downtrodden than he does about the materially successful. That's where you'll find him, right? Hanging out with the people with whom polite society wouldn't want to be seen. Today's church, we hear, talks entirely too much about sin, asking these so-called marginalized people to change who they are, while those are the exact people that Jesus wanted to spend all of his time with. We should be more like Jesus, right? That is less about law and more about love. But as we'll see, illustrated, in fact, by this very biblical text, the calling of Matthew and that evening's supper, Jesus' mission is much broader than that. Though he does certainly come to the downtrodden and is often found in their company, Jesus is not coming to them alone. 
In fact, Jesus comes to sinners, rich and poor alike, and calls them to repent of their sin. And that's actually love. It's sin that Jesus has a problem with and nothing else. But it's also sin that Jesus has come to wash away by his life and death and resurrection from anyone who will have him. And that's the love of God. Good news for us sinners, whether we are tax collectors or prostitutes or Pharisees or anything in between. So let's begin with a tax collector. Let's begin with Matthew. Matthew is a fascinating case. Here he narrates his own conversion. Remember, we're reading from the book of Matthew. But Matthew grants this, the most fundamental and important story and moment of his entire life, exactly one sentence. And he got up and followed him. We, of course, all these years later know a lot more about Matthew than Matthew himself probably wanted us to know, at least from what he included in his gospel. He was concerned to shine a light on Jesus, not on himself. But we know more. And the reason we can deduce so much about Matthew is that we know a lot about the job he did. He was tax collector. Now, we know a lot about the tax collectors and the Jewish interaction with them, from other gospel stories. For instance, the story that Luke tells about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector at Jericho, and the parable that Jesus tells about the tax collector and the Pharisee and others. And that's just from the Bible. We also know a lot about these men from the historical record, Josephus and others. So we have a pretty good idea about the kind of man Matthew was as he sat in his tax collection booth on that fateful day. The tax collectors were a unique kind of outcast class. They were hated by the Roman occupiers, of course. They were Jewish. Even though they worked for the Romans, they were miserable Jews, after all, not worthy of much Roman attention, worshiping their ridiculous single god and observing their silly rules about food, dress, and purity. And of course, They were also hated by their Jewish countrymen for the way they aligned themselves with the Roman oppressors. But the tax collectors didn't just align themselves with the Romans. They also lined their own pockets. You see, the traditional practice of the tax collector, and assuredly Matthew's practice too, was to charge their Jewish clients a fee larger than what was actually owed to Rome. And then the tax collector would keep the difference for himself. And thus, like Zacchaeus, tax collectors often became very wealthy. And when you read the gospel stories of Jesus sitting down in the homes of tax collectors and sinners, just note how many people are usually around the table. And then remember that this is the first century. A home large enough to host a meal of even a dozen people would have been the home of somebody wealthy indeed. So as we consider this conversion of Matthew and this subsequent dinner with Jesus, the needed needed correction to our culture's misconception becomes clear. When people today 
talk about this practice of Jesus's, his going to the wrong side of the tracks or sharing fellowship with the outcasts of society. It is easy, especially in our current social justice obsessed culture, to imagine Jesus as sort of a first century Mother Teresa huddled in the slums of Calcutta, spending all his time with the seedy underbelly far away from the upper echelons of society. But Matthew, whom Jesus seeks out specifically, while he may be a certain kind of outcast, he is certainly not downtrodden. Matthew, as a tax collector, is almost certainly a very wealthy man. Now, if you've been following the so-called deconstructionist or exvangelical movement at all, that is, formerly evangelical Christians abandoning that faith for something, well, for something significantly less Christian, you'll have noted that they often decry the modern church's failure, in their opinion, to be much like Jesus, especially in this way. I remember a few years ago, it was around New Year's, uh, Kevin Max, a former member of the Christian pop group DC Talk, Anybody with me? K-Max, DC Talk, thank you. He posted a photograph of some New Year's resolutions with the title, This Year I Want to Be More Like Jesus. And yes, I spent 20 minutes scrolling through old K-Max Instagram posts for this. These are the lengths to which I go for you. So here's his list, shared in conjunction with his move to leave evangelical Christianity behind. Here we go. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. Hang out with sinners. Upset religious people. Tell stories that make people think. Choose unpopular friends. Be kind, loving, and merciful. And take naps on boats. Now, that last one's pretty funny, admittedly. But what he's getting at with most of that list is a very common idea today. Jesus hung out with outcasts, and the church is getting it all wrong by telling those same outcasts that they're sinners. Who are we to criticize the very people that Jesus wanted to spend time with? Now, to be fair, Kevin Max does actually use the word sinners in his post. If I'd been willing to spend more time on exvangelical Instagram, something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Um, I could have found somebody who said something like, hang out with the others in society. You've certainly heard language like this. This kind of thing is especially prevalent right now during Pride Month in which we find ourselves. Who are we to call people with disordered sexual desires to repentance? When Jesus was constantly found sharing a table with them and people like them, who are we to tell them that they need to change? And it's easy to forget as we imagine Jesus sitting with the outcasts, the least of these, with the prostitutes and the poor, which he absolutely did. It's easy to forget, for instance, who Matthew was. Matthew was the Wall Street tycoon of his time, 
Matthew was Gordon Gecko, fleecing the little guy in order to purchase his third Ferrari. Jesus, it turns out, is just as interested in the top tiers of society, at least in terms of wealth and power, as he is in the lower rungs. And why? Because Jesus is not fundamentally interested in spending time with the other. Or in Kevin Max's words, hanging out with sinners. Jesus did not come to hang out. Jesus came to redeem. And the fact that he comes to Matthew in his counting house, just like he came to Mary Magdalene in the brothel, proves that your station in life is not what interests him. No, he came to save sinners. Sinners of every stripe, every social echelon, every power level. Those who are well, Jesus told that group of people gathered at dinner, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus isn't just hanging out with sinners or identifying with historically marginalized groups. Jesus is calling sinners. And because Matthew only gives his own conversion story a single sentence, it's easy to miss that Jesus, in telling Matthew to follow him, is actually calling him to repentance and to new life. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Jesus is saying to Matthew here, just as he is saying to you and to me right now, leave your life of sin behind. Repent. Confess. Stop stealing. Stop making a mockery of my law. Stop debasing yourself in the eyes of your family, in the eyes of your people, and in the eyes of your God in order to make a little more money. Stop putting yourself before me. Come and follow me. And Matthew, Matthew got up and followed. He left it all behind. Now, and from now on, for Matthew, Jesus is everything. It's reminiscent of Zacchaeus, isn't it? Whose conversion gets a little more fleshed out in Luke chapter 19. Behold, Lord, Zacchaeus shouts when Jesus invites himself over to that tax collector's house. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus is converted. So is Matthew. So as it turns out, Jesus is about love. It's just that love doesn't look like what the evangelicals think it does. It doesn't look like what so much of our society today thinks it does. Love doesn't look like acceptance. Love doesn't look like hanging out. Love looks like redemption. Love, for Jesus, is saving someone. 
seeking them out, not just in their otherness, but in their sin. The Lord, we read in Hebrews, disciplines those he loves. So God seeks sinners out, sinners, and then tells them about their sin and makes a promise, a promise that he would then keep with his own body and blood, a promise to save them. Come and follow me. All they need to do is to acknowledge their need of him. And Matthew got up and followed him. See, there's more than just a command here. More than just discipline. Now, there are absolutely commands and discipline, but there is more. Jesus does more than tell these tax collectors to shape up and then go on his way. He offers his very self to them. Follow me. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew, of course, follows Jesus immediately and physically. The next time Jesus walks down a road or out of town or sits down for a meal, Matthew is right there with him. But but of course, Zacchaeus is with him in a way too. In the same way that you and I can be with Jesus. We are disciples, followers, utterly dependent on Jesus' real love. His naming of our sin and his calling us out of it. And his finished work that gives us new life. Christ's sacrifice, which is why God can desire mercy, not sacrifice, or steadfast love, as Hosea puts it. God can desire mercy from us because the true sacrifice has already been made. Hosea and Zacchaeus and even Matthew can only look forward to it. They all lived in a day when the temple sacrificial system was up and running full speed ahead. But they were all looking forward to a day, even if they didn't know it, to when that system would no longer be needed, when God's claim that he desired mercy and not sacrifice would find fulfillment. And now we can see it in all its fullness. Jesus, the sinless son, dying for the sins of the world, and for ours, yours and mine in particular, making full atonement and making us right with God forever. We, you and I, are Matthew, the Wall Street fat cat who couldn't care less about the little guy. But we are also the downtrodden, the desperate, the forlorn. We are the Pharisee, not comprehending how God could love this other kind of person, forgetting all the while that we are also the kind of people most in need of God's love. We are sinners, each and every one of us. And we don't need acceptance. We need real love. You don't need a Jesus to hang out with you. Jesus refuses to do that anyway. Jesus will only do what you actually need, which is to find you and rescue you. 
You need a Jesus to seek you out in your counting house. To seek you out in your brothel. Follow me is his word to you this morning. So come, follow him. Join us now as we say the creed. Confess your sins with us. Sit down at his table. And when you come, come like Matthew came that first time, having just been called out of his counting house, utterly bowled over by the love of God. Jesus knows your sin. He took it on to himself. And now, because that work is complete, you can live with him forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.